is there anything you don't want me to talk about? And I said, yeah, look, don't ask me how it feels to lose $100 million. I'm going to tell you, it feels lousy. So there's no point in asking me that question. I mean, and so he comes, so he flips, all of a sudden the, the commercial's over. We're live on the radio and he says, so I'm sitting here with Keith Cunningham, the man who lost $100 million. Mr. Cunningham, what's it feel like to lose $100 million? So I'm live and I said, look, I view what just happened to me as I life is like a university. And in university, there's courses and every course has a tuition. I just took a course in the university of life and the tuition was $100 million. First of all, not very many people get to take this course because it's kind of expensive. Secondly, the question is not how does it feel to have spent $100 million. The question is, did I learn anything? Did I get my money's worth? Or did I take the course pass-fail? And for me, the opportunity that's available to everyone during a crisis, during a loss, is, yes, I, I have a loss, and what did I learn? What's the education? What could I do differently to prevent me having to relearn this very expensive lesson? This is The One Thing Podcast, where we teach you the surprisingly simple truth behind extraordinary results. I'm your host, Jeff Woods. That voice you heard was the voice of Keith Cunningham. If you have been following The One Thing Podcast for a while, then you might remember him from episode 197 and 198. It was a two-part series titled, The Habit That Cost $100 Million to Learn and Why It Was Worth It. If you've not yet heard those two episodes, I would strongly encourage you to go and listen to those. We dive deep into Keith's background and into what this habit was that he formed that made that tuition, that investment in his education, well worth it. Today, he and I come back together to have an important conversation. With all that's going on today, there's so much uncertainty. There's such a lack of clarity. We wanted to sit down with Keith because if we could choose one person to sit down with... Gary would suggest that Keith is one of the most important business voices of our time and is absolutely somebody that we should be listening to. He brought him into his mastermind that he held for some of his top agents in the last few weeks. And so I reached out to him to be able to have a conversation to bring him to you as well. Today, we're going to talk about as business owners, what are the things that we should be thinking about right now? What are the questions we should be asking and searching for those answers? What opportunities do we have with our businesses today that maybe we didn't have in the past? And as you will hear, Keith has a belief that the thing that stops us from reinventing ourselves is an attachment to the way things used to be. Folks, really challenge yourself when you listen to this. Where are you holding on to the past, the way things used to be and allowing it to stop you? from casting a new vision, a vision that's going to bring you into the future. What you are going to hear today is part one of the interview that I did with Keith. We will be sharing part two with you in the fall as part of our virtual goal-setting retreat series, because when it comes to us setting our goals, it's about casting that vision for the future. 
The challenge so many of us are having this year particularly is a lot of our goals just got crushed. And for somebody who had actually lost $100 million, we are going to walk through in detail what he did when he was absolutely at rock bottom to pick himself back up and build it way back. That will be shared during our virtual goal-setting retreats we'll facilitate this fall. If you'd like to learn more about how to access that, you can go to theonething.com slash setmygoals. And if you'd like to learn more about Keith, you can go to his website, keystothevault.com. And I would strongly encourage you to pick up copies of his book, number one, The Road Less Stupid. It has 794 amazing questions that you can ask yourself in this time, as well as his book, The Ultimate Blueprint for an Insanely Successful Business. With that, let's get into this conversation with Keith Cunningham. Eating healthy is an investment. It's an investment in yourself, but it also often requires an investment of your time. But good news is Factor has delicious ready-to-eat meals that are ever fresh and never frozen. They're chef-created, dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. With Factor, you can choose from a weekly menu of up to 35 options, including popular things like Calorie Smart or Keto Direction or Protein Plus or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover 60 more add-ons every week like Breakfast on the Go, lunch, snacks, beverages to help you stay fueled, feel good all day. And we know our listeners here at The One Thing are focused on health and health goals. That's why we choose to partner with Factor. And if you visit factormeals.com slash 150 and use code 150, you can get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. Again, that's factormeals.com slash ONE50 and use code ONE50 to get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. Keith, great to have you back on the podcast. Thank you. Great to be back. Thank you very much. The world has changed significantly since the last time we were together. Whew, that's an understatement. Yeah. I'm curious, when, when COVID hit, what went through your mind? Initially, I think like a lot of people, I suspected that it was going to be more like H1N1. Uh, you know, We have seasonal flus every year. Yeah, most people don't know that last year's H1N1, which was the flu that was last year, 25% of the world's population actually got that flu. Hmm. Uh, 61 million people in the United States got that flu. Uh, uh, 12,000 people in the United States died uh, because of that flu. So... You know, the the flu happens. And when I first saw it, I thought, okay, well, this is, you know, more, it, it looked like it was going to have more legs, uh, be more robust. But there's no way I could have predicted uh, either the, the severity of the health scare or the severity of the response. Mm -hmm. And to me, the severity of the response is uh, is particularly concerning. I think for a couple reasons. Number one, obviously, businesses have been shut down, and entire chunks of our economy are going to change forever. I th I think the the other part of it is that 
now that this dam has been broken, that we're, we will respond to uh, a flu. I mean, I, I'm not trying to categorize it as a typical flu. I think it's more than that. But now that this is the response, I think we'll see it again, that, that we will have future rolling quarantines or economic blackouts. It's, it's very similar, and I was talking to uh, Gary Keller the other day uh, about a, a story of Lee Iacocca, who asked, when he was president of Chrysler, asked the federal government to help bail out Chrysler, who was having huge ec- uh, uh, economic problems. And, and the federal government's initial response was, we don't bail out private companies. Ultimately, the federal government bailed out Chrysler in 1979, first time it had ever happened. And you look at what's happened since then, and it's a recurring theme. The federal government bails out private companies. But until 1979, it had never happened. Hmm. But once it did happen, that became the standard response. And so I think a huge part of what business owners need to be thinking about is not only how do we work through this particular crisis, which is severe, but of probably equal or even greater importance is how do we structure a company that can withstand future quarantines and shutting down chunks of the economy because there will be future flus, there will be future, and I think we're all more sensitized now to be on the alert for, okay, next season when there's a flu, is it going to turn into COVID or is it going to be closer to an Ebola or a yeah. SARS? Uh, you know, everybody that, you know, is, is 30 years old can probably remember SARS. And SARS was, uh, you know, a major global event. But during SARS, there was a total of 8,000 worldwide cases and (laughs) 774 deaths. And yet everybody knows about it. So I think from a business perspective, it's how do you design a model that can withstand this kind of of uh, disruption. And that's going to be very, very difficult for a lot of businesses. That's a very big question. And I'm imagining a lot of people just ask themselves that. They immediately hit the wall of, I don't know. And then they gave up the search. Talk to us about, I mean, at the core of your book, The Road Less Stupid, is this idea of thinking time, asking really big questions, searching for those answers. How do people strengthen that muscle so that this is not just an idea, but something they actually put into practice? So the key is to practice. (laughs) Knowledge knowledge is not power. Uh, Knowledge is information. And I think a lot of people, you know, I've, I've been guilty of this tend to gravitate towards reading a book or learning something and then not applying it. Mm-hmm. It's like joining a gym but never bothering to go. They feel good because they've done something. They joined a gym. They read the book. They attended a course. They listened to this podcast. Oh, okay. Well, I did something. 
And the reality is, certainly you need to learn it. You need to join the gym. But then you got to go do the push-ups. And the problem is, uh, Jim Rohn said it years ago, the problem with success is that nobody can do your push-ups for you. Hmm. That's the thing you can't delegate. And so, you know, if if you're going to be in business and you're going to uh, orient towards mastery, uh, which is my orientation, then the question becomes, what what do I need to be executing on a consistent basis that will allow me to get better? You know, the first time I sat down and tried to do a thinking time, I took a nap. I literally fell asleep <laughs> in my chair. And, and I decided I wasn't that good at it. And I called the guy on the phone who taught me about it years ago. Uh, this is 30 years ago. And I called him and I said, what do you do when you do thinking time? He said, you start with a really good question. And you, you force yourself to sit quietly for 30 or 45 minutes and keep focusing back on the question. What else could it be? I have part of my thinking time is what I call an empty dot. So on my piece of paper, there is always an empty dot. And as soon as I write down a potential idea, I create another empty dot. It's a dot on my page that has nothing next to it. And what it does is it forces my brain to say, oh, there must be one more thing. And if there is one more thing, I need to spend some time thinking about what else could it be? I think the generation of business owners that are out there today, you know, I'm on the the tail end of my career and much more in a protection mode than I am in a how do I create it mode. But if I was in a how to create it mode, uh, I would be highly concerned about what's the defense that I need? What's the dry powder that I need? How, How important is this idea of making sure that I don't get over the tips of my skis? Uh, I was reading, everybody that's listening to this podcast uh, is familiar with South by Southwest, uh, which was canceled this year. And the guy who owns South by Southwest made a, uh, he was interviewed and made a, a really, I think, observant observation. And the observation was that they just had gone out this last year and spent an enormous amount of money creating a, a, a world headquarters here in Austin, Texas. You know, spent $40, $50 million on this building, and they just completed it this last year. And his, his, the comment that he made about himself was, I was dumb. <laughs> that was a stupid thing to do. Uh, and it was stupid because that's the thing that that put him into a lot of debt and and he was out over the tips of his skis. Uh, he was relying on there being no hurricanes for the next four or five or ten years while he paid off the debt. Certainly, it was going to be a spectacular facility. But the truth is, you know, I, as I understand it, he's kind of lost control of South by Southwest. I think there'll be another one, but I think there'll be another one without him. 
because he did the wrong thing at the wrong time. So let's get practical here. A lot of our audience is business owners. A lot of them are um, employees or leaders in organizations, which everything you're about to share applies to their personal life as well. How should we be thinking and behaving right now to make sure that we are not over the tips of our skis? I think caution and skepticism are critical. I think those are critical in normal times. But I think during a crisis, wishful thinking about the speed of the recovery, about the slope of the recovery, about what changes will have to be made in order for me to be a beneficiary of the recovery. Mm -hmm. There's three moving parts right now, Jeff, and they are all very complex. Um, There's the regulatory front, which are the rules that are governing reopening and safety and all of that. There's the health uh, aspect of what's going on, which is, you know, people don't want to catch this. And particularly, you don't want to catch it if you have some underlying conditions. The third part is the one that is really hard, which is the fear factor. And the fear factor is the one that I think is going to trip up more businesses than the regulatory part or the the health part. The fear part is what's happened. Uh, This is a question. What's happened to the way consumers think about what is appropriate, what is safe, what is not safe, what is needed, what's not needed, that part is incredibly hard. And I think the adjustments that most businesses are going to have to make in order to accommodate this fear equation are going to dwarf the the considerations for the regulatory or the health. Mm -hmm. Um, Regulatory and health, we can see those. We know what those are. But there's uh, there's a lot of people who some of some of it is justified, some of it is probably overkill. There's a lot of people who are concerned about and fearful about how they should interact and what that needs to look like, and everybody's iteration or definition of the fear and how they're going to respond to it is different. And so that part is going to be really complex, and it's going to be difficult to deal with. I think the the what we should be thinking about as business owners right now is, you know, from a very practical standpoint, it's cash and cash flow. Uh, Without cash and cash flow, everything else is a moot point. It doesn't even matter Uh, because without cash and cash flow, the business doesn't survive. There's a lot of people that are relying on PPP or government assistance in order to augment cash and cash flow. And, 
you know, while I'm in favor of that safety net and I'm in favor of using it, if if there's not a plan in place to get past what happens after the government assistance is completed, it's going to be difficult. So now's the time to get expenses aligned with revenue and get expenses aligned with cash. Those are two different things. But but getting expenses aligned to the economic reality, the demand reality, in my opinion, is critical. I, I think most people are not whether it's most or a lot, it's a significant part of the business community, particularly small business, tends to be more optimistic about what's about to happen and how this is going to unwrap than maybe bigger businesses are. I I was reading uh, today at lunch, the Wall Street Journal, and Wall Street Journal's got an article about how a lot of landlords are very upset right now with Starbucks because Starbucks is demanding some relief on their rent. They're not asking, they're demanding relief on their rent. So here you have a multi-billion dollar company, tons of cash, huge brand, very low debt, but they're out today asking landlords for relief on their rent. The, The big guys are more concerned. Nike has 350 retail locations in the United States. Nike, uh, in March, informed all of their landlords, 350 landlords, we will not be paying rent for 90 days. It wasn't a request. They weren't asking permission. They made a statement. We're not paying rent for 90 days. You don't like it? Walk it off. It sucks to be you. We're not paying rent. So when you have the big guys responding by drawing down all of their line of credit, by demanding rent concessions, when you have that and you're a small guy and you tend to be a little more uh, optimistic or have a little more wishful thinking, I think there's an opportunity to take some clues from what some of the big guys are doing and say, you know, they're big uh, and successful for a reason. I wonder if they are preparing for more of a storm than what we currently can see. Hmm. And that, I think, is the problem. I think, I think most people who are thoughtful about this, Jeff, realize that what we've seen so far from an economic point of view is probably the tip of the iceberg. This is going to continue to unfold and have second and third order consequences that most of us haven't thought about. When I think about everything that you've shared so far, I keep coming back to this idea that we have to be willing to reinvent ourselves. Oh, huge. So what stops us? Well, I mean, I think there's lots of things that stop us. I think, uh, you know, what stopped what what stopped uh, IBM from competing with Dell? Uh, they could have, but they were attached to the way it used to look. They were attached to a legacy. It's why most um, 
innovation happens at the fringes. It doesn't happen by the big guys. The big guys are entrenched. And so it's little guys that come up with, uh, and they're little guys are always on the fringe. It's little guys that are not attached to the way things used to look. So I think that's part of it. I think a subset of that is the story that we tell ourselves. So, you know, there's a story we tell ourselves, and then there's a story we tell other people. But we've all got a story. And uh, a lot of times that story can be useful and serve us. And sometimes that story can, can be the thing that causes us to be exposed to risk or uh, maybe to sabotage when if we had abandoned the story uh, a little bit earlier, we could have been more open to reinvention that you're talking about. I definitely think there's going to be opportunities for reinvention. And I think there's going to be people who attempt to reinvent. Let me say it this way. I think the quality of life that we enjoy as individuals, it it comes down to two things. I think it's the choices we make and the luck that we get. It's all about choices and luck. And sometimes you can make good choices and just have bad luck. Uh, And there's some people that have great restaurants right now. Great food, but they're not going to reopen. Not because they didn't make good choices, but rather because they had bad luck. And so I do think there's going to be an opportunity to reinvent. Um, Sometimes that reinvention is going to happen in the industry that we're in. And sometimes that reinvention is going to be in a different industry. I think Warren Buffett said it really, really well. You don't have to remake money the same way you lost it. (laughs) And there's a lot of wisdom in that. I think a lot of times people attempt to remake in the same way or in the same industry that they lost it. And sometimes that opportunity is available and sometimes it's not. And our job, I think, is to be thoughtful about is there is the opportunity to reinvent inside of this industry, inside of what I currently am doing, or is the reinvention needed to take place elsewhere? But reinvention is going to be key. Yeah. You shared in, um, in the mastermind that Gary did with some of his, his top people, there are three critical audits that every business owner needs to be doing. Yes. So I think there's three audits that all of us can be doing. I think there is an expense audit, which is finding the fat. Uh, And if there is fat, let's do some liposuction. Um, A lot of times going on a diet will certainly can get rid of fat. And sometimes we need to get rid of fat quicker uh, than than a diet will allow us. But finding the expenses... Uh, that don't support the revenue that we're currently producing. This is critical. And it's a place that, that many, many businesses get into trouble. They remember or envision the revenue that they want or the way it used to be. 
and their, their expense structure is not aligned with the revenue that they're currently producing. And as a result, they wind up digging a hole, hoping that the revenue will come and fill that gap. So uh, I think smart businesses say, look, if, if I have a certain amount of revenue right now, what's the What's the expense structure I need in order to fulfill and service on that amount of revenue? And if I can generate more revenue in the future, I can augment my expenses and my staff in order to meet that demand. But but filling, spending the money on expenses that aren't justified by the revenue that's there is crazy. And there's a limited amount of time. If you decide to do that, it should only be for a very limited amount of time. So an expense audit. I think the second audit is an efficiency audit. And that's an audit that says, how are we doing things? An expense audit is what are we doing? An efficiency audit is how are we doing it? Or is there a way for us to deliver the value with less resources, with less time, fewer people. Most businesses over time accumulate cost. One of the things that a crisis does is it helps you get back to what are the core, core things we should be doing in order to deliver on our promise that we've made to to customers. So there's an efficiency audit. And then the third audit is a capacity audit. And it it says, where do we have excess capacity? Because excess capacity is a cost. And one of the things I want to do is get rid of cost, particularly in a crisis. So a, a, a excess capacity would be where where am I trying to tread water with a 50-pound weight strapped to my back? That I've got excess capacity that isn't getting utilized. And if there's a way for me to reduce my capacity and therefore reduce my cost, what it does is it allows me to be more efficient, and reduce my expenses. At the end of the day, during a crisis, it's re- it can be. There are some companies right now that can view this as an expansion opportunity. But for most businesses right now, this is this looks more like winter than it does springtime. This is kind of a time where you say, "Ooh, there's a lot of there's a lot of bad things going on. I should probably just kind of hunker down and try to protect what I got. There are some companies where this is springtime and you can begin planning, but that's not that's not most of us. Um, I think I think a key question you could ask to help you on all three of these audits would be the question. This is a thinking time question. Knowing what I now know, what decisions should I have made six or 12 months ago 
that would have better prepared me for this crisis. In other words, I can't predict the crisis. I can't predict how severe it's going to be. But are there some decisions that I should have made differently or sooner or executed louder or stronger that would have better prepared me to weather this hurricane? I'm going to give you a great example of this. In the 1980s, I developed a a uh, a project called Lakeline. Lakeline, I named that. Uh, uh, I bought 400 acres at the intersection of 183 and 620 here in Austin, and I named it Lakeline. And it's where the mall is today, and all of the the the, the uh, retail pad sites, apartments, office. It's a major. Uh, subdivision intersection in Austin. But in the in the mid-1980s, it was nothing. It was a goat farm. And uh and I developed it and I sold the the center hundred acres to Melvin Simon to build a mall, which meant that my remaining 300 acres around the mall site, which hadn't been built yet, but I'd sold the land, the remaining 300 acres had enormous amounts of value. Uh, the value is created by selling the center 100 acres to Melvin Simon for a mall. I, I immediately went out and leveraged that remaining 300 acres around the whole of the donut. The whole of the donut was Melvin Simon. I leveraged the remaining 300 acres to go do more. And between the time that I leveraged and, and did more, and the mall getting built, they discovered a karst, which is is lime in limestone. It's a cave. And in that cave, in the center of this 400 acres, as they're building the mall, a, a, a spelunker discovered an endangered species. It was called a blind salamander. And this spelunker came out with this blind salamander in a little bottle, and the blind salamander is no bigger than the tip of this pencil. And the instant that happened, construction shut down. And then the economy shifted, and it was another seven or eight years before the mall was built. In the meantime, I had leveraged this additional land and gone out and done a bunch more deals, all based on the mall. I made one critical assumption, and that was the mall was going to be built. And if the if the mall didn't get built, then the value of my land isn't there, which means that I've created this infrastructure of a house of cards. It was all based on one assumption. It ultimately resulted in me going broke uh, because of this bad assumption. And I learned a very valuable lesson. I could not have predicted that they would find a blind salamander. That part I couldn't predict. Any more than somebody could could have predicted that we would have COVID-19. What I could have predicted is that there would be a bump or there would be a delay. And instead of being so aggressive on the offense side, 
there was an opportunity for me to build a defense that would have enabled me to withstand a hurricane. And to me, that's a huge lesson. You asked the question a minute ago, what do people need to be thinking about right now? Practically, what do they need to be thinking about? Well, certainly they need to be thinking about cash and cash flow. But what's critical is that they think about how do we create a, a, a wall? How do we create a defense that minimizes the impact for future COVID-19 quarantines? Not that we, not that we will thrive during them, because that may not be possible, but we can survive them. We can survive future quarantines without having sleepless nights. And to me, that's a major goal. It's a, it, it, it's a hard lesson to learn. That lesson is usually learned after you've lost all your money. And, and it's better to learn those lessons without doing that. So I think there's an opportunity to ask the question, what don't I see? What could disrupt my earnings, my revenue, and what do I need in the way of dry powder or structure or, or flexibility? I think this is going to be an opportunity for a lot of businesses, Jeff, to transition some of their fixed costs into variable costs. Hmm. And the businesses that can do that successfully uh, have increased their flexibility and therefore their survivability in the event of of the next quarantine. I heard it from you. I've heard it from Gary for as long as I've been orbiting around him. What's the upside? What's the downside? Can I live with the downside? That's it. And uh, as an optimist, I did not naturally stop and ask those questions enough. And I looked, you know, it's, it's, it's actually been two, almost just under two years since you and I had that initial conversation. And when I, I, I took very seriously what you said about, you know, when you lost all that money, you formed a habit, habit of thinking time, time to sit down, to ask big questions, to search for the big answers. And I, I took that very seriously and, and made it part of my, my weekly rituals. And it's, it's at the point where it feels weird if I don't. Whenever I'm spinning out of control, usually the one thing I'm missing is a thinking time block. Mm. And sitting down enough times to ask those questions, it's amazing how we really can come up with answers. We may not predict the blind salamander, but we can predict something that we could put a, a strategy in place. I think that's it. I, I think... I think it's not necessarily predicting the specific event as much as it is thinking through where am I exposed or where is there risk? And if there is risk, is there a way for me to mitigate that risk? Risk comes in three flavors. And not all risk is created equal. There's, there's the probability that a risk will occur. There's the cost in the event a risk occurs. And there's the manageability or controllability of that risk. So 
the risk of me dying in a plane crash goes to zero if I don't fly on airplanes. <laughs> but 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 if I do fly on airplanes, there's a certain risk that is gonna is entailed. So how do I minimize that risk? Well, I minimize that risk by only having pilots that have a certain amount of training and experience. Or I only fly in airplanes that have up-to-date maintenance records. Um, I, I fly in airplanes where the the fuel gauge works. Uh, so, so now I'm minimizing or mitigating some of the risk. But, but my job as a business owner is I've got two things I have to think about. I have to think about offense. I have to think about growth. And I also simultaneously need to think about defense. And somehow I've got to come to some point of equilibrium on how many of my resources am I going to allocate for offense and how many am I going to allocate for defense? But I can't have all of one and none of the other. Uh, And most businesses during good times err on the side of offense because they, you know, there's, there's the fear of missing out. There's the fear of uh, there's opportunity and I need to take advantage of it. And so, Things gravitate towards more, and and very seldom do people say, eh, "How do I weather a storm? Should it happen?" And that's what thinking time does. Thinking time is also valuable because it forces you to get it out of your head and onto a piece of paper. Uh, I, I heard a very wise person tell me years ago, "The human mind is not built to retain." The human mind is built to create. And what we need to do is once we create, get it out of our brain onto a piece of paper because there's not a way to retain it all in our brain. So I'm, I, I'm thrilled you're one of the disciples of thinking time. I think, it's a, I think it's a great tool, and I can assure you it will pay long-term dividends, Jeff. I, I mean, I can think very consciously of the 66-day challenges I've gone on to form habits. And this is one of those keystone ones that uh, it's had a massive domino effect in my life. So and for anybody, if you're going, okay, what is this? You need to get a copy of The Road Less Stupid. I was telling Keith before this, and in all sincerity, uh, I have a copy of The One Thing next to my bed. I have a copy of The Road Less Stupid next to my bed. I got a copy of The One Thing on my bookshelf behind me in the office. I got The Road Less Stupid. And I got both on my phone. Pretty much anywhere I spend time, it's there. Well, there you have it. Our conversation with Keith Cunningham, the author of The Road Less Stupid. We hope that this episode brought value to you. I keep thinking about the the Jim Rohn quote that you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And in this uncertain time, personally, I've, I've just felt so fortunate to be able to learn from how Gary is teaching right now and to be able to learn from people like Keith because these are extraordinarily successful business people that are sharing really simple principles. And the thing that stands out to me most from the conversation with Keith is why people don't reinvent themselves. It's an attachment to the way things used to be. 
what stops us from reinventing ourselves is an attachment to the way things used to be. We are living in a new world and none of us know how much of the way things were before COVID-19 will, will come back. And it's time that we stop waiting for it. It's time that we let go of those things and actually cast a vision for the future. Because the truth is, there are absolutely opportunities and there are gifts in every single shift. It's why right now, we are inviting people to lock arms with us in resetting their goals, to let go of the goals that they came into the year with and to cast a new vision to cast a vision that they actually can focus on and control and to partner with us in going on a journey for the next several months where every month we make progress on those goals. That way we've got momentum when we come into the fall and actually do our virtual goal setting retreat for the next year. And that's where you're gonna hear more from Keith, more about how when he was absolutely at rock bottom, when he had lost a hundred million dollars, how he got his mind right after an immense setback, how he changed his thinking, which then started to change his behavior, which then changed his results. And folks, he shared that there were many, many other people. It felt like they had fallen off a, a 10-story building and landed face first on the ground. And he shared that a lot of those people have never gotten up. Keith did and he built himself all the way back. And like we shared at the beginning, Gary Keller believes he is one of the most important business voices of our time. And we're gonna learn more from him there. If you'd like to learn more about how you can set your goals with us right now, go to theonething.com slash set my goals. And if you would like to learn more from Keith, we would strongly encourage you to do so. His website is keys to the Vault. Dot com. And if you are looking to have some thinking time in your life, read his book, The Road Less Stupid. And for those of you who are business owners that would like to be able to have a better scoreboard, better optics into your business when it comes to your finances, check out his book, The Ultimate Blueprint for an Insanely Successful Business. If this episode has brought value to you, who are some people that you know need to hear this? Would you share it with them? And if you are new to the One Thing Podcast, welcome. Every week, we release a brand new episode to help you on your journey of living the one thing. Click the subscribe button so that those episodes are automatically downloaded to your device of choice. And while you're at it, please consider leaving us a rating and a review. It helps us reach more people and fulfill our purpose, which is to help you better invest your time so you can achieve extraordinary results. I'm your host, Jeff Woods. We look forward to being with you in the next episode.